One summer, my single mom schlepped us to the state park for what was meant to be a relaxing three-day weekend. Not much for roughing it, she rented a cabin. The walls were native stone crowned with brown plank trim. A plaque in the living room proudly informed anyone who cared that the place had been built sometime in the 1930s. After we unloaded the car, I was tasked with hanging our clothes in the living room closet. My skin crawled the moment I opened the door. Though the cabin faced west and sunshine poured in through the open curtains, not a single ray penetrated that closet. All light just stopped at the threshold. The door frame gleamed a soft yellow, but the interior was black as pitch. And for some reason, there didn't seem to be a light switch. I fumbled for the clothes rod to no avail, but I refused to go further in. Mom produced a flashlight, but the beam flickered sickly. How we managed to put our clothes away, I don't know. An ominous start to our vacation, to be sure, but one soon forgotten after we ventured outside to explore the breathtaking mountain scenery. That night, my older sister and I slept on the hideaway bed in the living room next to our little brother, who claimed the love seat. Mom would take the bedroom. She left the bathroom light on for us as a kind of nightlight. The dim shaft it cast across the living room floor was a comfort in a strange place. I don't know how long I'd been asleep when I bolted upright. I couldn't tell you exactly what startled me, only that my heart was racing. Something wasn't right. I scanned the room anxiously, my eyes adjusting to the dark. All at once, I was looking at a tall, powerfully built man. His back was to me, but I could tell he was leaning over my sleeping brother. He wore a long beige trench coat and a brown fedora, like Humphrey Bogart from Casablanca. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. My brother's eyes opened and widened at the sight of him. He screamed, but no sooner had the sound left my brother's mouth than the trench coat man vanished. Mom burst from the bedroom and threw on the lights. My brother was shrieking inconsolably. My sister rubbed her eyes, asking, What's going on? There was a man, I yelled frantically. There was a man in here! Mom checked the door, locked. She grabbed a heavy skillet from the kitchen and scoured the cabin for any sign of our uninvited guest. Nothing. My brother began to calm down as our sister held him, though his grip on her neck would leave a nasty mark. A thorough rehashing of the encounter ensued. My sister brushed it off as a nightmare. I, of course, countered that this didn't explain how our brother had seen the man too. Mom was noticeably quiet, and when the debate went nowhere, finally told us all to go back to sleep. We'd talk about it in the morning. She was kind enough to leave the kitchen light on. The next morning, over breakfast, Mom reluctantly offered that our visitor might have been a ghost, a sad, lost soul who, while frightening, couldn't do us any real harm. Perhaps if we prayed for it, she suggested, the restless spirit would move on, or at the very least leave us alone. Our appeals to a higher power didn't work. That night, my brother refused to sleep on the couch, insisting he share the hideaway bed with our sister. She relented. I grudgingly took the love seat. After what seemed like half the night, I finally drifted off. Sometime later, again, I couldn't be sure how long, I bolted awake. There he was. Clear as day, the man emerged from the closet and shuffled across the kitchen. I watched in horror, unable to scream as he crept into the bedroom. An eternity passed. 
Then a crash thundered from the bedroom. Mom suddenly yelled, Get out! In a voice so ferocious, so commanding, I nearly fled the cabin myself on instinct. Moments later, she burst into the living room and threw on the lights as she'd done the night before. She told us she'd seen the man looming at the foot of her bed. As her eyes traveled up from the belt of his trench coat, the figure had grown more solid. Every detail about him had grown sharper the longer she stared at him. Except his face. He had none. Or for that matter, a head. Incredibly, where you'd expect there to be one, a giant shock absorber of all things spanned the length from the top of his coat to the fedora. Mom gawked in utter disbelief. She said the figure raised its arms as if in benediction and fell forward onto the bed, disappearing just before it hit. The crash had been her knocking over a glass of water as she scrambled for the bedside lamp. Hearing her story, we all agreed to cut our vacation short, and we left first thing in the morning. Unsurprisingly, the park declined to refund us for the unused day. And years later, when, as an adult, I moved to a small town on the park's edge, Inquiries into the cabin's history uncovered nothing. As far as I know, we're the only people to have seen the bizarre and unnerving specter of Cabin 7. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum, and this is Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> With an extra emphasis on ghoul today. Why? We, yeah, I was going to say, why is it like ASMR? But it's not going to be once we get to your story. Jesus Christ. No. Although for no. some people it might be. Who knows? I mean, I might it's be true. very comforted by that story. But man, as you observed, uh, it's it belongs on a podcast with the word ghoul in the title. That's right. Oh, uh, how the hell are you, my dear? I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain. I am. Oh, I mean, yeah. I could. We both I can know always. Complain. You could complain. That's a lie. My shoulder <laughs> is still sore. My foot still hurts. But it's getting better. That's good. It's getting That's better. Good. Um, I have a pot cream that I put on it. That pot, works cream. Well. Oh. A pot cream. Pot uh, cream. And and so that's been working. But this well, last weekend, because we had the long weekend, as if that's a fucking thing. They're all long. <laughs> we have a long um, weekend. Like it's this. We've had a weekend for the past six goddamn months. Yeah. Um, the only reason I knew it was a long weekend, because Jack had Monday off. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So we did just same. the same things Brandon, we did so it was uh, nice. Saturday and Sunday, which was nothing. We Same. All we do is we watch Doctor Who now. I'm, I'm catching the boys up on Doctor Who because they haven't really seen any of it. So we're now yeah. up to about halfway through the little over, little, a little more than halfway through the Matt Smith era, which is my personal right. favorite era. Last week we got into Peaky Blinders and we watched like three oh, seasons. Just boom, boom, so boom, boom, boom. Good. Really good. Need a break. So it's very dark. Good. It's very, just, very dark. But God damn, it's so good. It's so good. Tom and Hardy we're is watching... brilliant in that. Of course, he's brilliant in everything. But I particularly love him as Alfie. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, he's so funny. He's mm-hmm. so funny. He's, just, um, he's psychotic. He's fucking psychotic and yeah, brilliant. Yeah, he's great <laughs> at it. And I it's like it. we've talked about I was like, do you think that the director was just like, just do you just do do you? Do you, do you, do you. <laughs> but then we've got, okay, so then we're watching The Boys because that just came right, out. So right. we're caught up on that, and that is disturbing on so many different levels for me. <laughs> I, still, I still have problems getting through it. Not because it yeah. isn't good, but because it's just, ooh, a little, it's a little too close to home sometimes it sure for, does for some sometimes. of us. Yeah, it's interesting how that works out. Uh, so we started season two, but then also uh, we caught, you know, we are now weekly watching Lovecraft Country. 
I fucking oh, love it. So many shows. Fucking love and you were it. telling me about the so the great, right? Yes. So I really that's want the to one. see that because I fucking love the favorite, um, which is a film that came out a couple of years ago. It's like one of my favorite films to have come out in the past like four years. Yeah. And this is, so I think, by the same people, pretty the much. Co creator. Yeah. Co-creator. The co creator. Um, much, much of the same of cast, it. too, which is awesome. Um, yeah. Very good. Um, so for those, it's called The Great, and it's on Hulu, and it's about Catherine the Great, but it's a, um, it's a occasionally based on a true story. <laughs> Just like history. <laughs> yeah, it's really fucking funny. Really funny. You know, it's got the drama parts, too, but mm-hmm. it's so clever and fun to watch. And I think I had been so overwhelmed with all the, the dark things. Oh, and it's yeah, like, right. Oh, I need something lighter. And so it, it <laughs> so definitely. Let's look at history. <laughs> yeah, that's super light. But it said it was a comedy. And I was like, I'm interested. And I like Elfanny. So we watched it. And oh my God, it is so funny. And she's amazing as Catherine. But the cast uh, is super strong. Oh, I can't and, wait. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's the one I'm going to dip into next. I was going to do Perry Mason, and I just can't get the boys interested. So I'm, I'm just like, I'll, maybe I'll watch it on my own because they're just not. Yeah. They're just, it's just not their cup of tea, I guess. It's just not. They're not. They're really into Who right now, and you can't go from Who very easily into some other tonally different show because like no, it's who, way who is darker. so whimsical and fun, and even when it's dark, it's still kind of fairy tale dark. So it's different, right. different energy. You can't, you can't just switch from that <laughs> to something yeah. like Perry Mason and not expect to have the weirdest fucking dreams of your life. So, but I feel right. like. You know, but we like we like sharp, witty comedies and and like court intrigue. That's that's another big thing for us. So I'm like, I think yeah, that's, this is great. That shows and up our alley. Yeah, El, El Fanning as um, Catherine, and then as mm. Peter the Third. It's um, what's his name? Uh, oh, I can't fucking remember, but I goddamn love him. I just he's had it. So he's so fabulous. Yeah, he was in. God damn favorite, it! What is yes. his name? Shit. And he's in X Men as Beast. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. He's, he's been just in tons of things over the so years. So brilliantly funny in this role. So I mean, everybody really does a great I'm job. Though. So I highly recommend The Great. It's super, super fun, and I loved it so much that I was like, I got to get my title from The Great because uh, it was making me laugh. I mean, we watched the whole first season. There's only one season in like two days. And didn't get tired of it. It was great. And then it was over and it was like, no. <laughs> and so there is a second season. So it'll probably come in two years. It's like, great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yay, pandemic. But um, but before we get into yay. the title, let me first thank Nicholas Megan Holt. Sorry. Shipman. Nicholas Holt. What? Sorry. That's the name. Nicholas, Nicholas Holt. Holt. I want to make name. sure we said that. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to start step on <laughs> what you were saying. No, no, no. You were yes. looking. That's I was like, good. I want to know. It's so important. funny. He's great. He's great. Uh, so funny. And also has a lot of ass screen time in one episode. That, okay, good sold. Yeah. Also amazing and funny <laughs> is Megan Shipman, who did Megan our Megan Shipman, yes. Yeah. So she read our opening story, yes. which uh, is by De- Dementor59 or something like that. Dementor Run. It's a Reddit user. You would hang on. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, discombobulated you, Rub discom- 59. Yes, yeah, there it is. It's called Cabin 7, Discombobulated Rub 50. It's a good story. Yeah, it comes Reddit's got some good true ghost stories on there. So yeah, occasionally, yeah. We, so, occasionally we, we uh, uh, Thank you so there. much, Megan. We love you. You're Megan. awesome. We adore you. Yeah. You're super talented. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we really appreciate um, it. And I know and our so, listeners do as well. Yeah. The title yes. is The Warriors Are the People, and that comes from this whole quote. 
the raw power of art. And this is, she brings some art into this Russian house that is not, or the court that doesn't usually have art because religion. So (laughs) (laughs) without getting too much into it. The raw power of art. Once your mind fires, your heart's moved. Ideas open and the warriors are the people themselves. You can cut a man's head off or you can change what's in a man's head. Do the latter, you have a warrior for your cause. Do the former, you have a head with a lot of blood pouring out. Sometimes I'm so (laughs) fucking clever, I have to take a breath not to become dizzy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so pragmatic. God, that's good I writing. Like, I was like, I need to get that tattooed. Oh, my Sometimes God. Sometimes I'm so fucking clever, I have to take a breath not to become dizzy. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, oh it's my super God. fun. Um, that's but great. Anyways, so that's the title. And, and I guess you are going to start. I'm going to start first, but I'm going to do yeah. the little news of the weird items first. Oh, right, right. We'll I don't know those. why I keep forgetting that. I know we're well, going to do it when we start. And then because it's, like, it's Ooh, somewhat yeah. new. So it these I'll try to, these are these are fun and spooky and sometimes tragic and weird. You know, all of the above. I try to, I try to hit all the major arteries. Um, <laughs> the first story is, it's a boy. Now burn it all. Uh, oh, more, I know what you're talking about. More than 7,000 acres of California have gone up in smoke this week after a gender reveal uh, sparked a massive wildfire in San Bernardino. Uh, San Bernardino. Uh, blogger Jenna Curvinitis, 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 I don't know, Curvinitis sounds like a disease. So we're going to say Jenna Kay. Jenna Kay, who's credited with popularizing the gender reveal party as a concept, took to Facebook to condemn the trend she started. Quote, stop having these stupid parties. For the love of God, stop burning things down to tell everyone about your kid's penis. No one cares but you, (laughs) she wrote. It's very true. Um, And if they do care, maybe report them to someone. This isn't the first time a gender reveal party has led to catastrophe, and yet the celebrations continue. I fucking think gender reveal parties are the dumbest goddamn thing in the world. Who fucking cares? Your child... Well, it seems a lot of the time I it mean, is. It's, you can be mildly curious about what, what your child's going to be, but it's not like it determines anything, not not in a just society. And also, let's real talk for a second. The gender of your fucking child is not an accomplishment. Fuck off with that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Well, the, the thing that it gets me is usually I have found in my experience in Facebook that the people who are the ones doing the gender reveal parties are the people that are also like with, you know, transgender and all, you know, uh, mm-hmm. nonconform, whatever. Um <laughs> they're the ones that are like, why are you so focused on gender? We don't care about your gender. <laughs> yeah. But then they're going to have a fucking party. Like, yeah. to, uh, and you expect me to read... care about the gender of someone that's not even here yet. Yeah. <sighs> but I did read, and this kind of, okay, so this particular gender reveal party, and let me say that I read this on a Twitter, on Twitter, <laughs> so I have no idea how true it is. But it was that this particular mother had had a lot of uh, miscarriages. And mm. so they, for more than just the gender reveal, it was they were celebrating that they could, that she had made it far enough and long in her pregnancy that they could even determine whether it was, I mean, that's, you know, that's, what gender it was. That's great. I, I celebrate right. fertility for her, all day don't long, but I, I just don't realize that. I don't, what does gender, what is gender, why does gender have to play yeah. a role in it? Because it doesn't matter. Like, you're still fertile right. in producing a child, whether it's, you know, male, female, or something else entirely. Like, just, it right. doesn't matter. Or, why, or oh, just, God. you know, rescue a dog. <laughs> it's another option. It's just another option. I think we should Get have gender reveal and... parties for adults. 
<laughs> yes. Just to, that just, would be way just fun. to celebrate the absurdity of our obsession with gender altogether. Yeah. Like, and then like, all hey, of us that what? are assholes would be out there like, I fucking knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Called it. Sorry. I anyway, knew it. Uh, so Curvinitis had her own gender reveal party back in 2008, by which she revealed the gender of her baby. She wasn't revealing her own gender, I think the, the article meant to say. Right. Um, this was before <laughs> they were a thing. She and her husband went uh, what is now the more traditional route, cutting a cake that revealed an inside with pink frosting. In other words, a girl. She wrote about it on her blog, High Gloss and Sauce, ultimately nabbing widespread attention. But participants have since felt the urge to step up the spectacle on these celebrations of life. It doesn't sound like what they are at all. It's a celebration of having a penis or a vagina. Which, right. Okay, cool. Good on you, <laughs> It's an It's a celebration of an innie or an outie. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had a girl? Why don't you hold her nose and blow real hard in her mouth and just see if we can <laughs> change that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and they have since turned a harmless family oh affair. Oh my God, that made me into dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> Take a breath, you're too clever. Um, turning a harmless family affair into dangerous business. Now, most still opt for the classic blue or pink cake reveal, sure, but others have taken to extremes. The current wildfire in California is massive, but it's just small potatoes compared to a 2017 reveal in Arizona that led to a wildfire spanning 47,000 acres. It all happened when members of the party shot a makeshift target scrolled with the words boy and girl. I just don't want to talk about, like, revealing your baby's gender using firearms. That just, using fire! That's so aggro. Um, the infamous <laughs> sawmill fire sparked by a gender reveal party burned more than 45,000 acres, according to the U.S. Justice Department. Firefighters uh, from at least 20 different agencies fought the fire for about a week. When the target, packed with the highly explosive tannerite, exploded, a blue cloud poofed upward and immediately ignited the surrounding brush. The party ended up costing the guilty patrons more than eight million in restitution. Oh, and it was a boy. Uh, just oh, this April, a gender reveal party in sure Florida. Sure would have been nice if he had been able to go to college, but they had to light the whole world on fire. Eight million dollars. That's a good college education, too. Yeah. At least a semester. Yeah, uh, at least one. Just this April, a gender reveal party in Florida also led to a 10-acre bushfire after, uh, after using tannerite, quote, and a weapon in the reveal, according to fire officials. Ironically, this celebration of life also led to at least... Uh, uh, ironically, celebrations of life have also led to at least one death. Last October in Iowa, an idea for a fun gender reveal party went off the rails when family members inadvertently built a pipe bomb. When the device went off, the color powder included flying shrapnel, a piece of which hit and killed a grandmother standing some 45 oh feet away. Can I just say this? I need to say this for anyone who has tried to have children and cannot have children naturally. It is not fair that they struggle having children and these fucking idiots get pregnant. I just want to say that for all those <laughs> people just, who have struggled out there. It is not fucking fair. Just, oh okay, go God. ahead. Thank you. <laughs> I just need to, I felt I really needed to say that for people. Thank you. Thank you. And I 100% agree. Like, you don't even, it's just, okay. Next one is called Greatest <laughs> okay. of All Time. A Douglas County Sheriff's deputy found a surprise waiting in the passenger seat of her squad car Friday morning. In a video posted to the Douglas County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, the deputy's body cam video shows her walking from the front door of a home back to her vehicle. When she opens the door, she spots something you don't see every day, a goat in the front passenger seat. 
Now, the deputy was serving civil papers at, at a home. It's not uncommon for officers to leave their vehicle doors open while approaching a residence in unofficial business. Things can get dicey pretty fast, and officers need a clear path of escape, especially if there are dogs involved. But they don't often find goats happily eating paperwork left on the dash. The critter <laughs> didn't take to being handled and wound up butting the officer off her feet. Thankfully, no injuries were sustained. The goat wasn't in a huge rush to get out, but with the assistance of a couple of dogs, it finally did go its happy way. Um, oh my god! I love that goat. Was about its business. It was, was like, like I'm eating this. They I'm were paid. Paper. They were paid to, to get rid of paper. <laughs> Little fucking four-legged garbage disposals. Uh, window seat. An airline has banned a woman after she opened a plane's emergency exit and climbed onto the wing to get some fresh air. <gasps> now the plane was on the tarmac. Um, the woman yeah, stepped I mean, onto the wing after the aircraft landed in Kiev, Ukraine, complaining that she was feeling quote too hot. An Instagram page dedicated to the Ukrainian city, uh, Borispil, later posted a video of the incident showing her re-entering the plane after ground crew shouted uh, shouted her from below to get the fuck back on. Her two children had already deplaned when they saw her on the wing. Upon seeing the woman, the pilot called for an ambulance, police, and border guards. According to the report, the woman had already returned to safety uh, inside the plane once they arrived. Authorities later confirmed that she was not under the influence of alcohol or drugs, just feeling like she said, hot. <laughs> Man, you know, though, I have sympathy for that woman. I think, uh, it's kind of baller. Because, I'm just glad she didn't do it in flight. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been on a plane or somewhere where you can't leave? Oh, fuck yes. And been like, I can't breathe or, you know, I, I've got to get out of here or, you know, I have to pee so fucking bad. I'm going to die <laughs> if I don't pee. How so long can it take to deploy? There's yeah. this... Uh, this idea that she's so hot and I've been that hot where it's like I can't breathe I'm so hot I have to have air and mm -hmm. if we're talking you know throw some menopause in there and some hot flashes <laughs> right, like hormonal right, hot flashes right, right fuck that bitch was hot <laughs> I, like, I, I give it to plane. her she can't breathe let her off the let it go let her walk on that wing if she needs to walk on that <laughs> wing good for her <laughs> Man, oh, what God. a nightmare. She was hot. Oh, God. <laughs> Next one I refer to as dearly departed. An archery hunter was killed by an enraged elk on Sunday, August 30th, when he went in search of the animal. Mark David of Hillsborough had reportedly injured the bull elk on Saturday, August 29th, with an arrow while hunting on private property near Trask Road East in Tillamook, Oregon. But the 66-year-old didn't manage to kill the 5x5 animal that day and also failed to locate it before nightfall. He then decided to search the next morning, according to Oregon State Police. David and the property owner went out at around 9.15 a.m. in search of the animal. After locating it, the victim tried to kill it again, but the injured animal managed to gore him in the neck what? with its antlers. The landowner attempted to help David, but he sustained fatal injuries and died, Oregon State Police said. The police added that after the investigation, the elk was killed and its meat was donated to the Tillamook County Jail. This actually happens fairly often, which... It's a I'm sport. Like, yeah, it's a sport, but it, <laughs> I feel like it's, you know, it's more of a sport when they can fight back. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. i just like to give a quick shout out to Tillamook. We like you. We like your story. We like your cheese. We appreciate you. <laughs> we do. We do. This is a fact. <laughs> I love Tillamook. Oh, they have the best. They have the best cheese. Have you seen this? So a Lincoln man uh, spoke passionately at a recent city council meeting about the improper use of a term used in restaurants and bars across the yes. world. The term? Yes. Boneless chicken wings. 
<laughs> Lincoln resident so Ander Christensen spoke during the public comment period of the meeting, encouraging society to rebrand the popular food item. Lincoln has the opportunity to be a social leader in this country, said Christensen. We have been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are casually throwing around names and words without even understanding their true meaning. The man proposed that Lincoln remove the term boneless chicken wings from our menus and from our hearts. He went on to <laughs> list the reasons why and offered a list of alternative words to describe the chicken product. Alternative names included buffalo-style chicken tenders and saucy nugs. We've been living a lie for far <laughs> really, too long. He also offered up trash. <laughs> I liked that one. That was really good. Uh, We've been living a lie for far too long, he said, and we know it because we feel it in our bones, said Christensen. God, that was so funny. (laughs) It was great. I was like, you know what? He really likes chicken wings. I'm glad he has the time. That's true, right? (laughs) It's like, let's, in these times of pandemics and economic collapse and political uncertainty, let's not lose sight of what's truly important, what we call chicken wings. Yeah. I got to be honest here. And it may not be a popular opinion. <laughs> I don't chicken, like chicken wings. The chicken wings hit closer to home. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I don't like them. Yeah, I, it seems I, like a lot of work for very seem, little payoff. I, they're they're not my favorite. I like them, no. but I yeah. I prefer chicken tenders or nuggets. Like I just prefer yeah. things you can just pop in my mouth without having to eat around the bone. That sounds yeah, awful I don't, out of context. And then context, people have you know like this mean. whole way of doing it, and they're like, you just do this and we're prepared, and then you pull all the meat off. And I'm like, yeah, not worth it. Not worth it. I'd really rather not. Yeah, thank you. I and I also I didn't don't come like here buffalo to learn how to sauce. Eat buffalo wings like a survivalist. Yeah, buffalo sauce is okay. Again, not my favorite. Not no, my favorite. and then they usually pair it with fucking blue cheese. No, thank you. No, thank you. I like blue cheese on its own. I'm fine. That's all I want. Yeah, I don't. I don't want it. I don't want that, and I don't want buffalo. It's the vinegar in the buffalo sauce. Now, if you get me a nice chicken that's sautéed in some sort of balsamic vinegar thing, I'm down. Right. But don't get me buffalo sauce. But you can't just slap some fucking vinegar in some fucking Italian, uh, whatever, Thousand Island dressing, and it's it's not a thing. It's not a thing. This is something I would have made as a child on a dare. Um, Right. And finally, ghost dads. At least one high-profile ghost hunting group has formed on account of this pandemic. Paranormal Essex, made up of four lifelong friends and fathers, live uh, live stream their seances on Facebook on Fridays, and since May, have amassed views of up to 10,000 per video. After such what? sudden success, they are now in the early stages of providing material for a well-known streaming service. The lockdown was instrumental in making the ghost hunts so popular, says main presenter Adam uh, Wagman, W-A-U-G-H-M-A-N. Woman? I, I woman, bet it's woman. Mom, woman? As a woman. Um, like how, how people who don't like women online say woman. <laughs> woman. <laughs> woman. Quiet woman. Um, yeah. With all non-essential shops and facilities closed and people at a loss for what to do with their Friday nights. But Adam 30 says it's something he's been drawn to for a long time. After losing his dad last year, as well as one of his best friends as a teenager, Adam was keen to explore the possibility of reconnecting with them. He explains, quote, I wanted to prove to myself that my dad is still out there somewhere and that I'm going to meet him there again another day because he was so young and we were best mates. That and the fact that I love old buildings. I love the smell of them, he says. For the group's medium, Rob French, 29, his connection with the paranormal uh, beyond um, goes as far back as his folks can remember. He is a descendant of a family of travelers, both uh, Romani and Irish, and clairvoyance is in the family trade. He says that the the sixth sense has passed down through generations of females in the family and that he is the first male and the first of his 21 siblings, most of whom live in Ireland, to have inherited it. Excuse me. 
21 siblings. Okay. Big family. A lot of Christmas cards. Uh, my my great nan gave my mom her tarot cards and taught her because you have to be gifted them. You can't buy them for it to work, he explains. I started seeing things when I was about six, old women who weren't there and dead family members. I used to have stuff moving around my room and I'd go to the Ouija board by myself and stuff would be flying around. The team visits a new site every Friday, either places they know to be haunted or those recommended by locals. Most are in, uh, are in uh, Havering, Essex, and Kent. On their first expedition to Cash's, uh, uh, to Cash's Well in Bisseldon, Rob said, We caught a little kid ghost on camera. I had someone going through my pockets. We had a full conversation with the geezer uh, who owned the well. It was also, wow. it was also, uh, uh, it has also shown photographs of smoky figures from various trips to ruined castles and cellars. So that, nice little revelant there, like ghost hunting. Ghost hunting because in quarantine, why not? Why not? You know what? You yeah. don't, you don't got to wear a mask around the dead. Um, I mean, <laughs> the long dead. You should wear a mask around the recently dead, just so we're clear. That's true. Um, and that is this week's smattering of news of the weird or things I find interesting. <laughs> I like it. I thought it was fun. I enjoy it. I like how they brought up the Ouija board in the last one. It seemed like a good segue into my segment because... Right. I because my was... thought was like, why the fuck do they have a Ouija board? That's ridiculous. <laughs> but, I imagine I this is going to evoke some strong opinions, the story I'm about to do, because I'm going to talk about Ouija boards. It's kind of their history, uh, which is a little more checkered than you might imagine, than even you might imagine. No, checkers is a different game. <laughs> it's different. Uh, uh, <laughs> I got nothing for that. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm calling this segment. Yes, no, maybe, goodbye. Uh, <laughs> and my sources are primarily uh, episode 351 of Last Podcast on the left, one of my all-time favorite uh, podcasts. If you haven't heard them, please go listen. They actually go into a great more detail about the esoteric and the modern esoteric connotations of the Ouija board than I will go into today. Um, but also to They're books available on, on Spotify, and I think Spotify only. Now. They used to be on other stuff, but I think they moved to Spotify. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I listen to them on Spotify. All the cool kids are doing it. Um, they also two books. Uh, Ouija, the most dangerous game by Stoker Hunt, which is just a great name. A, Stoker Hunt. It's a porn name. I know. I was like, that's a you dick name. That's like, a, I, I got a, a big dick name. <laughs> I, have, I have a feeling his parents shot a cake to reveal his gender. Um, mm. uh, Ouija mm. Gone Wild. <laughs> Another. Ouija By Rick wild. Fisher and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. An article what are you going to do? Ah! <laughs> Ouija boards just showing their tits on spring break. <laughs> Yes is written on one boob, no on the other, maybe on right. the belly button. It's like, mm -hmm. You know there's got to be some sort of weird bikini that's Ouija board. It's like the planchette's you know. also just a thing of vaginal mesh. It's too too weird. Oh, um, no. <laughs> Somebody's dad is really upset. Um, <laughs> <laughs> an article titled The Ouija Did It by Amanda Tolos and an article for the Smithsonian Magazine written by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. Or McRobie. Uh, now, for every piece of occult paraphernalia bastardized by the corporate zeitgeist, we're talking herbs, crystals, candles, essential oils, those fucking things that uh, what's-her-name puts up her vag, um, there are mm. dozens, if not hundreds, of magical accoutrements familiar only to adepts. In our era of late-stage disaster capitalism, the lines of demarcation aren't all that clear. 
there's quite a bit of overlap, actually. Oftentimes, something readily available from some witchy online shop has a much more sinister history than suggested by its coupon code. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> just as often the opposite is true, a product's origin can just as easily be shrouded in bullshit as mystery. Now, of a lot of these bullshittery. Uh, now, of these, I'll have little to say because I'm going to focus today on a deep dive into perhaps the most popular, misunderstood, and controversial "quote unquote" spiritual item of the past 170 years, whose history may surprise you: the Ouija board. I love I how call I, this, I love I'm, how I I'm built to it like you didn't know what to, I was talking about. What are you naming right, it? Right, I want to rename it to Ouija. <laughs> <laughs> you might, yeah, maybe. We'll, well, let's see. Now, what do you know about the Ouija board? <laughs> do you know anything at all, Jamie? I know that it is a game board. It's a game board mm-hmm. game, a game board game. Those are what those are called. <laughs> a uh, tabletop, a tabletop game. A tabletop game, but not like a long one. <laughs> However, <laughs> well, it depends. Like and I mean, it you depends. know, sometimes the, G, the the GM can be, you know, can have a really long campaign. Yeah, right. That's true. That's true. Uh, so it depends, I guess, what story you're trying to tell from your Ouija. But right. I know that beyond the board game, and a lot of people will say, oh, it's just a board game. It's just a board game. It's mm-hmm. not real or whatever. But beyond that, before it was a board game, I know that there's a lot of divination and stuff like oh, that yes. that used very similar. Similar? Similar. Similar. <laughs> you were just trying to say similar symbols and you mashed it up, just like similar. the word Ouija is a mashup right. of two it's different similar. words. Similar. Uh, that's what we do. Um, Dexter has a tendency to fart and then scare himself. So we have, he's, he's startled, so we call it a fartle. He's been fartled. So this is just a thing I do. It's, <laughs> Sorry, that broke me. <laughs> oh, he, he does. He farts. He You'll hear a little, and then and he then runs like, away. Like, Who is that? <laughs> like, oh. Who is that? Something chasing and he my jumps ass. And runs. Yeah, it's like it bites him. <laughs> He's like, it's no, me, funniest. no. It was oh me. God. I got fartled. So. <laughs> Right, Use so anyway, that as you may. So, oh God, okay. <laughs> well, that just derailed us. Um, so, Sorry. No, no, so, okay, so before we get but to that point, um, you know, like, you, 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 everything you gave me is true, but before we establish, including the fartles, but before we concentrate, let's establish something right off the bat. Um, for all the ironclad opinions flying around out there concerning the uses and or abuses of this innocent-looking little piece of wood and or plastic, there's next to no agreement as to what exactly the Ouija board is. Some maintain it's a device for contacting spirits, obviously. Others claim it's simply a method of divination. Uh, Some say it's a tool for tapping into the unconscious, a magician's instrument, a gateway to the underworld, a harmless It's a gateway to the devil if you talk to my mom. Right? Or vampires. Um... It's, the Ouija board itself is a vampire. <laughs> now, point My me. mom believes everything is a vampire, just everything to sum that up really quickly. Vampire, for everything. Yes. everything, everything, everything. Right. Uh, now, boy, it's so, it, point B, it's something different for everyone. Sometimes, and that disparity is the difference between life and death, which we'll get into shortly. Now, I, uh, I'm assuming everyone listening is familiar with the basic operation of your standard issue. Ouija board, right? We all know you sit there yeah. with, you know, at least two people. It's got to be two people. Well, no, it can be one. But it can be one, yeah. In order to prove that it's spirits or whatever you're supposed to have it on. But, you know, you, there's a little plastic, usually a plastic planchette with a little a little eyeglass window on it that hovers over letters on a board, and you put your at hands on it. At some point, it, it will you're dart off to... the board into the wall. That's what happens in maybe, every movie. Maybe kill Grandma 45 feet away. Uh, 
Now, the process of producing communiques this way is referred to as automatism, the performance of, un of actions without conscious thought or intention. In creative circles, the term specifically means the avoidance of conscious intention in producing a work of art. This is uh, done by employing various automatic techniques or exploring subconscious imagery without unpacking it ahead of time. Uh, Cut-ups are a great example of this, especially in the Dadaist era, where it's kind of the equivalent of magnetic poetry. And um, the reason this can work in terms of giving you information uh, is something called the uh, idiomotor effect. It's essentially when, it's according to psychologists anyway, when deeply suppressed or otherwise unconscious emotions manifest as involuntary movement or as some sort of communication. Now, this is how modern psychology explains divination techniques like tarot and the I Ching. Essentially, the thinking is that when we sit down to the Ouija board, we're guiding our unconscious or giving it carte blanche to make associations uh, between various elements that are in front of us, and those associations create meaning for our conscious selves. Now, um, Colin Wilson, who I've referred to a lot on the show because he's one of my favorite philosophers with regards to the paranormal, uh, he... <sighs> In his book, Superconsciousness, and in many other books aside, including his study of the occult, he talks about um, the essential nature of left brain versus right brain thinking and its function in divination processes or in clairvoyance and psychic, you know, uh, premonition, things like that. Now, studies have long suggested that there are, in effect, at least two separate fully formed personalities dwelling inside the human brain at any given time. This is evidenced by the actions of so-called split-brain uh, split patients. That is harder to say than I thought. Now, these are people <laughs> who have submitted to having their corpus callosums severed. Now, the corpus callosum is this network of tissue that basically is kind of a superhighway between the two hemispheres of your neocortex. Uh, basically, the, what we think of as the brain, the walnut brain, the big, the yeah. big thing over the uh, over the. It connects uh, the, the sides. It connects the sides now, and <laughs> and it happens that if you are a sufferer of severe epileptic seizures, cutting that corpus callosum can stop the seizures without really having any obvious side effects in your day to day living. It doesn't impair brain function. It doesn't really do anything. It just seems to kind of calm the electrical storm in your brain that can kick up and is largely held responsible for epileptic seizures. So it's not. I, don't know the extent to which this surgery is done today. I think we've come a long way in terms of uh, other treatments. But when this when this yeah. was yeah, but when this was uh, when they were trying this out, it worked really well. But here's the interesting thing. So people and there is documentation, even video of people doing this. People that have had their corpus callosums severed function just happily. But if you cover their left eye and show their right eye a picture of an orange they won't, and, and you ask them what they saw, they'll be like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, sorry. But if you open, if you take the other eye, if you take the patch off their other eye, they'll be like, oh, it's, it's an orange. Um, but if you put the patch back up, like, let's go back to the original, you know, there's an orange in front of them, but they can only see it with their right eye. Well, their left hand, if asked to write down what they see, they don't know they're doing it, but they will write down <gasps> orange. Um, there was so cool. One woman would say, she's like, yeah, I'd get ready for work or a date or something, and I'd lay out a dress on uh, the bed while I was finding other things to go with it, and I would realize, oh, I've, I've put two dresses out, um, two pairs of shoes, and not realize it. So it's like there's this whole other person inside of you that's there from the beginning that is kind of, it, it, this, this personality is thought to be 
the kind of the reservoir of the unconscious, or at least the product of the unconscious. And it's this other person inside of you, whether you want to call it a spirit or just a weird byproduct of how our brains are structured, that supposedly, at least according to Colin Wilson, is who you're talking to when oh, you are using various divination techniques. That must resonate with you Absolutely. because you're a Gemini. <laughs> yes. And so you have dual personalities already. Right. right. I have four of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, not everyone agrees with this interpretation, as we'll see. But let's let's talk a little bit about the Ouija board's origins. Now, there's a subject of much debate. Now, devices of its kind go back millennia, of course. Pythagoras, the Greek philosopher who, uh, in, among many other things, kind of founded mathematics, or geometry at least, and music theory. He's got a theory. whole theorem and everything. He does. And people are proving it right every day. He developed <laughs> a sort of proto-Ouija board in the form of a table with wheels on it designed to navigate among symbols painted on the floor that would move after he and his students put their hands on it collectively and all agreed not to try to consciously move it. But this is, you know, this is unsurprising. Divination techniques have always, since ancient times, depended on your unconscious participation. Like, you can't have an intention involved, otherwise you're just going to tell yourself what you want to hear or, you know, whatever. So it's important to, one of the uh, the reasons it's important to cleanse yourself, according to ancient ritual, um, the cleanse is important before doing something of this kind so that you can know you're truly tapping into your unconscious and not just yourself as you, not your own personality. Because it's there's there are layers to your unconscious. And if you want to just skim the top layer, it's not going to get you anywhere. If you want to go deep, you got to you gotta go deep um, and make sure that you're tapping into that part of yourself. And that's what cleansing rituals are by modern psychological, modern psychological, uh, words. In modern psychological terminology, <laughs> that's the purpose of a cleansing ritual is to kind of break down that barrier between you and your unconscious and to make sure that you're actually talking your unconscious and not just your thinly conscious self. Um, anyway, but the board, uh, as known to us now, hails largely from the mid-18th century, when spiritualism was at the vanguard, vanguard of pop culture. And the original was rather clumsy and difficult to use. The alphabet field and the planchette, for starters, were fucking massive, and they were made of cast iron most of the time. So in place of that little window uh, that we know of in the planchette, there was actually a hole through which you stuck a pencil or some kind of writing implement so as to facilitate automatic writing. Now, for those unmoved by the prospect of getting the spirit to write something down, another version functioned more or less like a roulette wheel, but it was also massive. The devices were marketed with some success under clunky fucking names like the Spiritoscope, the Psychograph, which I really like, and the Telegraphic Spirit Communicator, which sounds like something an accountant came up with. Right. Also, they were manufactured with costly materials and prohibitively large, meaning, of course, that only the fabulously wealthy could afford to speak with spirits for a very long time. Now this changed, uh, right? This changed in 1890 when Elijah J. Bond and Charles Kennard teamed up with a coffin maker named E.C. Reich to streamline the board's design, combining elements of the various prototypes trendy among the rich at the time, shrinking everything down to more portable dimensions and using inexpensive wood instead of cast iron. For just under $2, about 40 bucks in today's money, disaffected socialites and downtrodden working class folk alike could contact the other side. Um, it really kind of democratized spiritualism, uh, not always for the better, according to spiritualists. At first blush, mm -hmm. you might assume that Reich, who built coffins, was just developing his brand. <laughs> right, yeah. But in fact, he was deeply interested in occult matters, and he's 
egalitarian sympathies extended to the dearly departed. Too long, he felt, had spirits been expected to manipulate cumbersome instruments to get their point across, literally. The new Ouija board, named for the words yes in German and French, would be an open line between the living and the dead. Incidentally, about the name, Kennard would later say that the name came from the board itself during a session and that Ouija meant good luck in ancient Egyptian. But turns out that was just some promotional chicanery on his part. It absolutely doesn't. Yeah. Uh, spiritually speaking, the Ouija board... You didn't know we'd have the internet. It's <laughs> like, fuck you, you're not going to look it up. Uh, spiritually speaking, the Ouija board, much like the advent of pro Protestantism, got rid of the middleman. People seeking to confer with the deceased wouldn't have to shell out their hard-earned bucks for a spurious medium, which, needless to say, didn't go over well with those who made their living want seances. The Ouija yeah, board was The Ouija board was every man's gateway to the spirit world, and I'm convinced... That kind of is one of the reasons we tend to think of it now. It's the it's evil. Right. Because fucking wealthy people are like, it's evil because I can't make money off of it. Um, right. Now, Bond it's and- It's evil <laughs> because I should be the only one doing it because I'm special. My money says so. <laughs> right. Oh, money. There's a whole other Ouija board. Um, Bond and Kennard <laughs> filed a patent on Reich's design, presumably with his blessing, and founded the Kennard Novelty Company in 1891 for the express purpose of making and uh, uh, selling these boards. And yes, to secure the rights, <laughs> bear in mind, they had to prove the board's authenticity to an eagle-eyed patent clerk, which they did, and they got the rights. Now, from this point forward, Reich vanishes from the story altogether. We're not really sure what happened to him. But there was no any kind of litigation or anything involved. So presumably he was just, yeah, cool, my, awesome. He was, you know, he may have, for all we know, he was happy to see his design uh, become the hula hoop. Right. Um, by 1892, the Canard Novelty Company went from one factory in Baltimore to two in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London in just one fucking year. Now, wow. after, and after only one year production, now, however, erstwhile factory foreman William Fuld, F-U-L-D, launched a hostile takeover after it came to light his employers were having money issues unrelated to the business. He took over and renamed the going concern the Ouija Novelty, Com Novelty Company, further cementing the name in pop culture. Fold disabused consumers of the notion that the product's name came from ancient Egypt, Ouija, he maintained, was simply a mashup of the French and German words for yes, we, and ya. By preserving at I least... I feel like we should say it more fun then. We ya! We ya! We ya! We ya! It's called ja. a hey y'all. Hey y'all bird. A hey y'all bird. It's the Texas version. Uh, by yeah. preserving at least one element of Canard's story, the board... Uh, um, Fuld insisted, had indeed named itself during an inaugural session. So even though it didn't mean good luck in ancient Egyptian, uh, Fuld did maintain that, yeah, the board asked us to name that, name, to name it that. Uh, sometime later, William's brother Isaac, with whom he'd staged the takeover in 1892, came under fire for less than ethical accounting practices and was ousted. To cleanse the business of scandal, William renamed it the Baltimore Talking Board Company and pushed the device as a harmless novelty item, though he often consulted the board himself on pressing matters. Then huh. along came Ella Crawford. In 1912, the lonely widow, desperate to fill the hole left by a series of personal reversals following the death of her husband, received the Ouija board as a gift and quickly grew obsessed. Whatever information the board produced became gospel for her. Ella's entire life revolved around what it told her to do. When the board predicted that she and her daughter would soon be plunged headlong into poverty and that it would be better to die than face such indignity, Ella drowned the nine-year-old girl in her bath. Oh, she then dried the body, dressed the remains in funeral garb, and attempted to bury a hatchet in her own skull. It was not successful. She survived and was found not guilty. 
by reason of insanity. Now, this unthinkable act would have an echo as recently as 2001, when an Oklahoma woman named Carol Sue Elvaker murdered her son-in-law on the Ouija board's orders, believing God was speaking directly to her through the planchette. She sunk a knife into the chest of her sleeping son-in-law, a man named Brian Roach, who had incidentally once been the mayor, then turned to her 15-year-old granddaughter. The girl escaped unscathed, but when she and her mother, Carol Sue's daughter, tried to get Carol to the hospital, believing she was having some kind of nervous breakdown, obviously, the 52-year-old, the 53-year-old rather, attempted to swerve the car into a tree. The women all survived, thankfully. Carol Sue got out and was later found wandering naked through the woods, her ankles broken. A jury found her not guilty by reason of insanity. However, interestingly enough, she had no prior history of mental illness, nor was there of any in the family. Now, back to 1912, Ella's story exploded in the press. Thus was born the Ouija board's first association publicly with evil. Though, Demon! Though this only increased sales. By 1920... <laughs> Sorry, I just felt the need to <laughs> shout it out. By 1920, William Fuld was a millionaire three times over, 47 times over by today's reckoning. He accomplished this by expanding the Ouija brand. The talking board was only part of it. His company produced jewelry, Ouija decor, even something called Ouija oil, which was supposed to help with <laughs> rheumatism. Doubt it worked as well <laughs> as the board. It's probably just mineral oil. Well, you know, if you use the board enough, you're going to need something. Uh, That's right. you got to moisturize yeah, it. you got to moisturize. Your joints are going to ache like from having board. to hold up the planchette. I want a cutting board that's a Ouija board. Sorry, go ahead. They make I one. I just thought of it. Yeah, but you cut yourself and bleed on something. That's a that's a, that's a a long way around to getting a message. Anyway, um, <laughs> but what really spiked sales was World War One. And here is where we really begin to see people using the board primarily to speak with deceased loved ones. Now, there had always right. been an element of this, of course, but even confirmed spiritualists seldom expected to make contact with people they'd known personally in life. Nine times out of ten, when you're sitting down to a seance or something, you were speaking with some figure completely unfamiliar to you. The odds of getting through to Grandpa or Aunt Ruth were astronomical. Icons like Madame Blavatsky, of who one day we will do an episode, I swear to God, opined that any spirit claiming to be a departed friend or family member was full of shit. The spirits who came through in seances, she warned, were of an entirely different order of being, having never been human in the first place. We see this echoed now in the sentiment held by many that demons, not the dead, are the ones shimmying the planchette. Now, to be clear, Blavatsky didn't necessarily believe spirits were evil per se, just liable to be tricksters who got their kicks out of toying with gullible humans. All the same, with our boys dying by the thousands overseas in the greatest conflict then known, the public needed comfort. It's quite logical, writes uh, Linda Rodriguez McGrawby for an article in the Smithsonian Magazine, the board would find its greatest popularity in uncertain times when people hold fast to belief and look for answers from just about anywhere, especially cheap DIY oracles. The 1910s and 20s, with the devastations of World War I and the manic years of the Jazz Age and Prohibition, witnessed a surge in Ouija popularity. It was so normal that in May 1920, Norman Rockwell, illustrator of blissful 20th century domesticity, depicted a man and a woman, Ouija board on their knees, communicating with the beyond on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. During the Great Depression, the Fold Company opened new factories to meet demand for the boards. Over five months in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 of them. 
1967, the year after Parker Brothers bought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold, outselling Monopoly. That same year saw more American troops in Vietnam, the counterculture Summer of Love in San Francisco, and race riots in Newark, Detroit, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee. Now, William Fold perished himself in 1927 after falling from the roof of one of his factories while testily repairing a flag. <laughs> It's like, I'll get it fucking right. The factory, he said, had been the Ouija board's idea. He built it on its suggestion, and the fall didn't kill him. In fact, the tumble off that three-story roof only broke three ribs. En route to the hospital, however, one of those ribs punctured his heart and killed him a couple days later. Over the course of the 20th century, the Ouija board's popularity skyrocketed. At one point, the Baltimore Sun had to hire a full-time writer just to address the regular onslaught of reader questions about it. The Baltimore Talking Board Company, meanwhile, changed hands between industry titans like Parker Brothers, General Mills, Tonka, and Hasbro, who produces it now. As you might expect, some bad press has come the board's way via people like Ella Crawford and Elvaker. For all the Ouija uh, sessions, it's easy to dismiss as harmless fun or even therapy, uh, or even as therapy, there are a variable catalog of crimes supposedly committed at the board's urging. Let's take a look at a few of these before we, we uh, move on. We should do that. We should do that. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm ready. On the night of July 20th, 1987, <laughs> uh, someone by the name of Nok Van Dong, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. It's a Vietnamese I name. I think you nailed it. Really? I hope no, so. I f- but <laughs> I'm going to give you that support and love. Thank you. Um, was cruising down an Orlando street when he spotted two female hitchhikers. The hitchhikers, 16-year-old Bunny Dixon and 18-year-old Elizabeth Town, were actually Satanists with a murderous plan. The girls' boyfriends, Anthony Hall and Daniel Bowen, were watching from the bushes as Dong pulled over. They waited for the perfect moment before jumping out with a gun, robbing the Vietnamese exchange student and throwing him in the trunk of the car. The evil foursome uh, brought him to a secluded area and used a knife to carve an inverted cross on his chest. They then shot him seven times in the upper body, killing him as a sacrifice to Satan. Once the group was eventually caught, they told police they were fulfilling the wishes of a dead 10-year-old boy named David. Communicating through a Ouija board, David reportedly told the kids to rob someone, steal a car, and flee Florida to join a carnival in Virginia. In 1929... David sounds real trashy. I'll be honest about that. I mean, flee Florida. I get that. But everything else? Right. <laughs> in 1929, <laughs> on the uh, Cattaraugus Reservation near Buffalo, New York, an intricate murder plot was concocted via the Ouija board. Tribal healer Nancy Bowen and friend Lily Jemerson used the board, hoping to learn who had killed Bowen's husband. The board complied, even providing the killer's address. Now, during the seance, the board spelled out the words, They killed me, and the name Clothild. Coincidentally, Jemerson offered up a woman she knew named Clothild Marchand, who was married to an artist named Henry Marchand. Bowen had shaken up. Uh, Bowen was shaken up by the situation and things worsened. Multiple letters describing Clothide as a vengeful witch showed up in Bowen's mail. They explained that the woman placed a hex on her husband and that she killed him out of jealousy. Soon Bowen was convinced the strange woman was a murderer and that she was going to kill her next if she didn't do something. Using the address provided by the Ouija board, Bowen showed up at Clothide's door, bludgeoned her to death with a hammer, and stuffed chloroform... chloroform... Talking today is hard, <laughs> and stuffed chloroform-soaked paper down her throat. Witnesses told police a Native American woman was seen at Clothide's address, and police were led to the reservation. The tribal healer originally intended to kill Clothide by using supernatural forces and hexes. However, her spells 
did not work. As it turns out, Clothite's husband Henry knew Jimerson because they were having an affair. Jimerson uh-huh. manipulated her friend to kill Clothite by using the Ouija board in hopes of finally being able to have a relationship with Henry. Henry denied any involvement in the crime. The court believed that he was somehow involved in the plot as well, but had no proof. What a convoluted story. Wow. So yeah. this bitch wants to get with this man. And so straight tries to convince someone else that this man's to wife, kill his wife killed <laughs> to kill killed her husband so she can go and kill the wife. And like, Jesus Christ. I knew the friend was behind it. That's a complicated fucking plot. Uh, yeah. When a 14-year-old boy was hospitalized for being stabbed in uh, Westlaco, Texas in 2012, police were shocked to learn that his 15-year-old friend was responsible for the crime. The case grew weirder when the suspect claimed that a Ouija board told him to do it. The perpetrator and the victim were hanging out behind a high school when things took a horrific turn. The assailant pulled out a four-inch knife and stabbed his friend in the stomach. They then brought the victim to a nearby car shop to call an ambulance. The 14-year-old spent three days in the hospital for intestinal injuries, but survived. When police investigated the situation further, they learned the attacker instructed his friend to claim he fell on the knife. Then he blamed the Ouija board. Commenting on the bizarre crime, Wolosco police spokesperson J.P. Rodriguez said he actually believed what the Ouija board advised him, that the friend was the cause of his problems. That's kind of the incredible part. On Christmas Eve 2014, Paul and Margaret Carroll were sent into a state of paranoia after using a Ouija board. The duo believed that unruly spirits had entered their home and were residing in the family dog, Molly. Paul quickly Aww, became convinced. Molly. Right. Paul quickly became convinced that an evil entity had possessed Molly and she needed to be put down. So Paul drowned her in the bathtub. Aww. After he drowned Molly, he dismembered her. He tried getting rid of the body by stuffing her body parts down a drain. However, his plan failed and he was quickly arrested by police. While he was in jail, his wife and her daughter, uh, Katrina, decided to use a Ouija board to communicate with Molly. According to the duo, the Ouija told them that they were going to die. Hours later, their house was in flames and the women were rushed to the hospital. The women evidently admitted (laughs) to starting the fire themselves following a black magic session. What? I mean, and there are... So many stories of people that take the Ouija too far. But again, I think it comes back to, you know, are we talking with spirits? Are we talking to your unconscious? You know, like it's and some people are just going to like they want to kill someone anyway. And they're like, I'm going to make the skeletal person do it for me by believing in spirits or whatever. But I will say, like, even, you know, even people that don't necessarily believe in spirits, but believe in the power of divination uh, vis-a-vis the left right brain like thing. Um, it's very important. Like, if you start dabbling in your own unconscious, shit's going to happen. It's just going to happen unless you go about it in a systematic and protected way because you're, you know, remember when we talked about uh, Jung and the shadow and all that? Like, when you Mm -hmm. encounter that part of yourself, it's going to change things. It doesn't mean that your house is necessarily going to be haunted by evil spirits, but, like, man, it's going to feel like it is, or it can. Like, so anytime you are engaging, I I just advise all of our listeners of this, like, anytime you are playing with something like that, seriously, it's important to take into account that you don't know yourself as well as you think you do. There are other personalities inside of you just waiting to get out and there's all the elements are there they're just waiting for the proper pressures to come out under and sometimes fucking around with things designed to talk to your unconscious or the spirit world or whatever you want to call it can bring shit to the surface that you are not ready to deal with um so this you know buyer beware i don't know now have you ever used a ouija board we've had this discussion before i i can't remember i have not no my mom 
was very much into don't do it. And it's because she had an experience when she That's was a little right. girl. That's right. Yeah. She and a friend were in a closet using a Ouija board. And they asked if something was there to give him a sign because they had been moving it. And it was like, are you moving it? Am I moving it? That whole thing. And mm-hmm, so finally mm-hmm, they're like, mm-hmm. if anything's here, give us a sign. And all of the shelves in that closet fell after they said it. That's a sign. So she was like, bye. <laughs> don't use this shit. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and so after that, she was like, don't use a Ouija board. So it was always just understood. You don't want to invite something. You don't know what you're talking to. You mm-hmm. don't know what you're inviting in. So just don't well, do it. Well, who knows? Maybe your unconscious is a kind of portal through other things for through which other things can come. I don't know. I don't think there's anything special about the Ouija board itself. I think just you know, committing to that kind of practice can stir things up, whether it's a Ouija board or you're using a wine glass over strips of paper, which some people have done. You know, I mean, like, there's nothing inherently spiritual or evil about the design of the Ouija board. It's just one in many ways of divination that if you don't know what you're doing with, it's going to stir up some shit. And, you know, yeah. So, yeah, I've never used one myself either. I mean, I've used tarot cards. I've actually, I'm, I'm, I'm... pretty good with the mind, dare I say. Um, I but I stopped after I had a couple of weird experiences. I hadn't done it, except I, I used to do it for fun and profit, and now I just do it for people that I care about very deeply and that really need it. I don't do it just on the fly anymore. It's, I wasn't, I'm like, nah, I can't, I can't do that, because that's some really weird shit happened once, and that's another story for another time. <laughs> um, but, uh, and there was some emotional fallout because of it, so it wasn't just like, right. ooh, weird shit happened, so I gotta stop. It was like, oh, no, this, this destroyed a friendship. Um... You know, so you got to be careful with that sort of thing. But that, that yeah. in a nutshell, is kind of the history. And I, I still urge our listeners to go listen to podcast last podcast on the left for their episode because they really talk about Aleister Crowley's relationship and advocacy of the Ouija board. And uh, it's it's fascinating. But you really kind of learn a lot about, you know, just how this simple little game can have such an effect, mm-hmm. not only on the culture, but on one's own psychology. Um, yeah. And on yeah. one's own parapsychology, if you like. <laughs> so, so that's Weak it. Part. That's it for me today. I'm, uh, awesome. I'm, I'm, uh, I have a hankering for your story. I'm hungry for it, you might say. It <laughs> might be a terrible term to use. <laughs> I'm counting on it. So, Let's take a little break yes. and then we'll get into it. All right. Sweet. Back in a moo. Hey, guys, we're here to talk to you about our Patreon. Yay! Um, if you love the show, we would love your support. We are trying um, to stay away from commercials and other things that might interrupt you, except for this interruption right here. Which is um, still just, you're getting more of us, so what are you complaining right. about? Yeah, yeah, but just to encourage those of you who have been so supportive, um, if you would like to help us financially, we would appreciate your patronage. We and you can would. do that at patreon.com slash ghoulintentions, or just uh, search Patreon and Ghoul Intentions. It'll come up. It's also on the cover um, or on the front of our um, Ghoul Intentions website, which is ghoulintentions.com. It's yes. pretty easy to find. Um, we have several different tiers. You can donate anything from a dollar to $20. Mm-hmm. Um, at $8, you can join the Discord, and the Discord is a really good community. They're playing D&D on oh, there. They've got so much fun. lots of chats and support groups and all it's kinds really of stuff. Cool. It's a really, really fun community. And we also will do chats with you guys twice yes. a month. So for everybody that's on Discord, our chats this month in September of 2020 will be on the 12th. Yes. And that will be at noon Central, Central Standard, Standard time. time. So noon Texas time. That's right. And then, uh, I love that, Central Standard. It's Texas time. That's such a Texas <laughs> thing to say. Uh, and then for our Phantasm tier, the highest tier, we have an additional uh, chat with y'all. And that will be on the 26th at noon 
as well. Now, those are both Saturdays, so hopefully that'll accommodate uh, our friends overseas who who have very different schedules, obviously. And uh, yeah, please join, because we love talking to you guys. It's really a lot of fun. It's just we love the interaction. Jamie and I are talkers, you may have noticed. And so getting to talk to you guys, you know, in in a chat setting is really kind of cool and fun. So join us. Join us. Yeah. And thank you so much for supporting the podcast. The Patreon actually helps us not only um, help get pay Matt, <laughs> to yeah, who is worth his engineer. weight in gold, rest he assured. He sure is. But we also, if we are going to go places and host any kind of ghost tours, we are definitely going to need uh, uh, some more income for that. So yep. Uh, yep. anything that you guys can do, we really, really appreciate. Um, join the Patreon. Thank you guys for all your support. Love you. Mwah. Okay, we're back. Yay. Now, what's interesting about this particular story, first of all, is that it's gonna there's gonna be some French stuff, so you can help me with it. Normally, <laughs> I stay away from French stuff because it's like you better do it because I don't want to fucking say these words. But when I saw this story, you can do it. I'm, I'm you're, I, I believe in you. It was so appropriately ghoul. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is by far the most ghoul I think that that we've ever been. Oh, hey, all right. Yeah, and it is the medical mystery of Tarar, T A R R A R E, Tarar. Is that how you would say it? Spell it one more time. T A R R A R E. A R E, A R A R E, I'm not really sure. Yeah, Tarar. 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 We're going to say Tarar. Tarar is what we're going with. We've got to say it several times, and I can't go Tarar every time. I'm going to do it for you. Every time you say it, just point to me and I'll be like, So before we get started, I do need to give a little trigger warning. So if you are eating, wait until you're done eating to listen to this episode (laughs) or listen to the rest of this episode. (laughs) If you have a weak stomach, you might want to skip this one. Uh, I am not a fan of gore. Or gross, like, uh, uh, in when it comes to horror movies, I don't like gory ones. I don't like a lot of blood. I don't like a lot of guts. I don't like gross for the sake of gross. Uh, this is not gross for the sake of gross. <laughs> but it's Because I didn't know what I was getting into until I got into it. But it is uh, no. gross. It's I, very gross. So just be ready. I can't That is wait. my warning. I'm so ready. Wait, let me open it's up disgusting. this. disgusting. Let me open up this can of pate. <laughs> I mean, you're going to regret your decisions, is all I'm saying. Will I? Will so, I? So, let me, okay, my sources are Wikipedia and all that's interesting. Okay. So. <laughs> that's a very broad source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very specific uh, story, though. So, it was a lot of information in very small spaces. Mm, mm, uh, mm. When I say Terrar, I'm not speaking of the town in France or the 19th century racehorse, and also not the opera by Antonio Salieri. 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 Uh, He's Italian. You can say it. Salieri. It's S-A-L-I-E-R. Mm-hmm. Salieri. Salieri. No, there would be an E at the end. Salieri. Salieri. Whatever. Salieri. It's, it's not Salieri. a fucking opera. Salieri. Either. It's not a fucking opera. He's the guy that they think killed Mozart. Salieri. Okay. Well, anyway. I think that's him. It's got to be the same I guy. am speaking I of... Wrong. I don't know. You're not speaking tarare. of him. Tarare. 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 That's what it looks like. Tarare. 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 He's a man born in the 18th century and most likely had an extreme version of polyphagia. 
Polyphagia, also known as hyperphagia, is the medical term for excessive or extreme hunger. It's different than just being hungry, just so you know. When you get hungry, you eat until you're either, one, full enough to know that it's time to stop eating, or two, so full you can't have another bite except for, like, that tiny little slice of cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, you will stop being hungry after you eat a certain amount of food. With polyphagia, your hunger does not go away Uh, If you eat more food, you always feel like you're starving. Oh, man. And this isn't binge eating. It's not a a traditional eating disorder style type of thing either. It is an unyielding urge to eat and eat and eat, and you are never satisfied. You all might have other symptoms like excessive thirst, weight loss, gastrointestinal symptoms, or excessive sleepiness. It is super rare, super, super rare. So if you think if you're thinking to yourself right now, I bet I have that. No, you probably don't. But I am not a medical doctor and nothing said on this podcast should ever be taken as medical advice. So let's just leave it at that. And also, you probably don't have it. Uh, (laughs) All that being said, Terrar was born in rural France near Lyon, 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 around 1772. Of course, we don't know his exact birth date or even if Terrar was his birth name or just a nickname, but that is what he was known as. He's pretty much born with a massive appetite, and being the 18th century, no one knew why, so of course there was no treatment. By his teens, he could take down a quarter of a full cow, which was equal to his body weight, and he could do it in a single day. Jesus, he's like one of the Nephilim. (laughs) Eventually, yeah. Eventually, his parents were like, what the fuck, kid? We cannot afford to feed you. So they kicked him out. (laughs) It sounds like a Shel Silverstein poem. I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to stop sounding like that real fast. Just so you know. Uh, So his parents forced him to leave home. And after he left, he started touring the country as a showman with a roaming band of thieves and sex workers. Basically, a (laughs) few of them would put on a show while the rest of the members walked through and picked the audience pockets. Uh, Ah, see, now businesses just pick your pockets altogether. Right, yeah. Tarar was one of their star attractions. He was the incredible man who could eat anything. He eventually left the band after being hired as a warm-up act to a traveling charlatan. He would draw in a crowd by eating all kinds of things. What things, you might ask? What things? We'll get into that in just a minute. First... I want to describe him to you just a little bit so you can start to get a picture for the rest of the story. Surprisingly, he was of average height and weighed only 100 pounds when he was 17. So he stayed okay. really slight Jesus. in uh, so, shape. Jesus, so like super metabolism. Yes, he was described as having unusually soft fair hair and an abnormally wide mouth. How wide? Well... When his mouth was fully extended, there was about four inches of space between his jaws. Oh. Four inches doesn't seem like a lot until you see it. I got a big mouth. (laughs) Trust me, four inches is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Uh, Uh, So what I did, I was like... It doesn't see, but it's got to be. So I went and I got the measuring tape, and then I was like, Jack, where's my mouth? 
spit. So, <laughs> so I measured it, and my mouth only came to two inches, like as wide as I could open my mouth. Jack did. His went to three. <laughs> and he's like, but he's got a he's got a huge head. So <laughs> he's like, ah. <laughs> I'm so glad we never had children. I never would have survived that. Um, but uh, yeah, so four inches is a lot of space. Basically, he could have taken an iPhone and eaten it. That's how big. Like, try if you have one of those big iPhones, try to put that in your mouth. Uh, yeah, like that. He I could only fit do the whole it when thing like TikTok tells me With, to for the sound. But uh, 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 yeah, uh, I also do don't have a terrible. Yeah. I don't have much of an appetite ever. Like I, I yeah. I, so I, I found. So like, you don't want to eat an iPhone, right? Now I he, don't want to eat enough. Uh, yeah, I don't want to eat much of anything, honestly. Yeah. Well. <sighs> it's all the drinking. That's the that's what I want to eat gin. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's true. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I want limes. Limes are good. Into it's gin. Very <laughs> Folic acid. So okay, when I tell you that he could pour a whole basket full of apples down his mouth and hold a dozen of them in his cheeks like a chipmunk, the rest of the story might make more sense. That. That's. I hope he put that on his grinder profile. <laughs> oh, if only it was that cute. Um, so he would swallow corks, stones, and live animals whole, all to the joy and the disgust of the crowd. <laughs> how and Tarar's. Not, we'll get there. How did he uh, not I know you're ravages his intestines? He, heck, it, how? Even, I don't. Mm, how just wait. He, what? Some people See, swallow asking, swords. He swallows entire battalions. Right. You're asking now, and then later you're going to be like, I wish I had oh, asked. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Oh, okay. God. So, I'm, already think, I'm already plotting this out in my head of what it's going to be, and it's already grossing me out. Yeah. He, uh, his reputation preceded him everywhere he went, apparently even in the animal, animal kingdom. Baron <laughs> Percy, who was a surgeon that took interest in Tarar later in his life, mused in his notes, quote, the dogs and cats fled in terror at his aspect, as if they had anticipated the kind of fate he was preparing for them. Oh. Oh. His lips were almost non-existent, while his teeth were heavily stained. Of course, this is also France in the 18th. Uh, <laughs> when he was full, his abdomen would distend like a huge balloon. When he had not eaten, his skin would hang so loosely that he could wrap the fold of skin from his abdomen around his waist. Oh. His cheeks oh. were wrinkled and drooped down like elephant's ears. That oh. is, of course, unless they were stretched full of apples or eggs or whatever the fuck they decided to shove in there for fun. My God, he sounds like the creature from Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Okay, oh. I wonder, maybe inspiration. Maybe. His body was hot to the touch, and he sweated profusely. When you take, again, consideration, 18th century France... It was real bad. Uh, yeah, real foul oh. body odor oh, is God. what they were saying. Uh, it's been described that his sweat smelled of sewage water. Ugh. 
Terrar well, was described ugh. as stinking to such a degree that he could not be endured within the t- distance of 20 paces. Oh, my God. <laughs> After well, I mean, he he's ate, eating so many things. Like, of course, I his know. sweat's going to smell like a, like it's going to smell like a septic tank. Uh-huh. After he ate, the smell would get noticeably worse. Uh-huh. His eyes and cheeks would become bloodshot, and a visible vapor would rise from his body oh. like fucking pig pen <laughs> from Charlie Brown. What the fuck? What? Yeah. And then after I hope he, he, ate, he made he would... bank. I hope this motherfucker <laughs> made absolute bank. I hope he was crazy yeah. wit. I feel so bad for him. And then it pissed uh, off all the nobles that he had as much money as they did. Yeah, he d- it, that's not what happened. Um, then he would get lethargic after he ate, and he'd start to burp loudly while his jaws would make swallowing motions. <laughs> this is the part now that I feel like the... is the oh. ghoul part, right? Uh, this okay. is it's okay. very much a, like I wanted to title it the 18th century ghoul, mm-hmm. but it's not fair to him. He couldn't help it. Um, to some degree, right? Right, yeah. It sounds like he's got a pretty, it's like solid disorder. Like he can't yeah. ever feel it hungry. Just, yeah. So, okay. To make matters even more delightful, he had chronic diarrhea, which was said to be fetid be all on, beyond all conception. So apparently <laughs> those live animals didn't agree with him. Oh. Keep in mind, his body would digest the food, sort of. He did not vomit or back up or anything like that. And, uh, God, this is so fucking disgusting. Um, yeah. So it was all, di- it was going through him for the most part. I mean, God. And even though he ate live animals and trash, Tarar was considered entirely sane. Everybody that was around him said he's just like this normal guy. He just he had was, an insatiable he appetite. A, he was an accomplished whist player. <laughs> in 2006, it was guesstimated that he had damage to his amygdala, which is caused to, mm. which is a known cause to uh, poly- okay. polyphagia. polyphagia. But the truth is, no one else on record has had such an extreme case. There have been other extreme cases, but nothing like this. Ugh. Okay, so when the Ugh. War of the First Coalition broke out, Terrar joined the French Revolutionary Army. He wanted to leave the sideshow and go do something different. He discovered very quickly, though, that the food rations provided would not satisfy his appetite. He started doing tasks for other soldiers in return for a share of their rations, and he scavenged for scraps on the dung heap. Oh! He dug around in shit for scraps. Oh, this poor guy. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. And so it becomes more and more that perhaps he did not understand like there was something there which, you know, le- the amygdala damage might have prevented him from understanding there are certain, like shit, you don't want to eat things that are swimming in shit. That yeah, but when, he, you are, when you are starving to death. Like, right, or when believing you're, that you're like, starving. Yeah, exactly. Like when your brain yeah. thinks it's starving, like you will get food wherever you can. So like that just, I think that goes to show you how bad he must have like how bad the yeah, physical the condition like, was, how bad the hunger must have been. Right, right. Uh, he was eventually, let's see, um, he was eventually admitted to the military hospital with a case of extreme exhaustion, mm. probably from running around trying to find extra food and doing stuff. Mm. Um, the hospital gave him 
quadruple rations at that point, but he still remained hungry. He kept up his scavenging ways, looking for food in gutters and trash cans, eating the scraps of food left by other patients, and he would sneak into the apothecary's room to eat poultices. Oh, <laughs> just, hey, it's a nice, <laughs> it's a nice mm-hmm. poultice Military you surgeons, got there. Ugh, yeah, the surgeons had no idea what was going on with him, so they ordered Terrar to remain in the military hospital to take part in different experiments designed by a Dr. Corville, Corville, Cuvier, C-O-U-R-V-I-L-L-E. Yeah, I think, sure. We're going with Corville. And the aforementioned Pierre-Francois Percy, surgeon-in-chief of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, Percy's the one that said the thing about the animals running away from him. Uh, Corville and Percy decided to test Terrar's capacity for food. A meal had been prepared for 15 laborers near the hospital gates. Although generally hospital staff restrained Terrar in the presence of food, on this occasion, Dr. Corville allowed him to reach the table undisturbed. Terrar ate the entire meal of two large meat pies, plates of grease and salt, and four gallons of milk. Oh, you had, okay, you had me until milk. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of that sounded delicious. Four gallons. But... And you know, if you drink a gallon of water, you could die. You could drown in the in this that wa- that much water at once. And he did yeah. four gallons of milk. And then he immediately fell asleep. <clears throat> These okay. experiments are why we know how Tarar's body behaved before and after he ate. On another occasion, Tarar was presented with a live cat. You ready? Oh, no. You wanted to know how. Oh, no. This is okay. Oh, no. He tore the cat's abdomen open with his teeth and drank its blood and proceeded to eat the entire cat aside from its bones before vomiting up its fur and skin. So sometimes there was vomit. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, ghoul. Again, ghoul. Uh, it, j- it just kept uh, screaming at me, ghoul. Um, I'm, fo- I'm uh-huh. fascinated. Yeah. I'm morbidly fascinated. But, like, so he would eat uh, it and, like, but still have, like, his body would somehow still be able to separate the, the fur and the skin and be like, we're going to, like, cough that just up like, like a cat. Like a hair That's ball. all I can think. He probably, like, That's a hairball. So That's exactly. Oh, I can't. Ah, it's so gross. <laughs> okay. Okay. Following this, hospital and staff, you'd think they'd be like, we should stop. No, no. Uh, The hospital staff (laughs) offered Tarar a variety of other animals, including snakes, lizards, and puppies, all of which were eaten. He also swallowed an entire eel without chewing, having first crushed its head with his teeth. Ugh. Remember when I was like, you're going to wish you hadn't asked how. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. After I did some research on this before lunch, and I was like, I got to take a break. There's, I can't eat. I got I to I take a break. So, it's the Tarar diet plan. Just read about ooh, him, just, and you just lose weight magically. You lose your, you lose your appetite. It has the opposite effect. Um, after several months, he st- spent as an experimental case. Military authorities wanted, uh, they began to press for Tarar to be returned to active duty. Dr. Corville wanted to continue his investigations into Tarar's eating habits and digestive system, so he approached 
General Alexandre de Beauharnais. Um, that's what I'm guessing. It's mm. B-E-A-U-H-A-R-N-A-I-S. I think, yeah, I think you're pretty close Bonnet? to it. Yay! Yeah. I'm only saying it that time, and I'm just going to call him the general from here on. <laughs> <laughs> the general. Uh, uh, he approached him with a suggestion that Tarar's unusual skill set might be able to be put to military use. So, a document was placed <laughs> inside a wooden box, which was in turn fed to Tarar. So he ate a wooden box. Uh, with a document inside of it. Two days later, the box was retrieved from his excrement. excrement. What a fun job that was. Someone had to do that. <laughs> Literally a shit job. It's a real shit job, yeah. Uh, with the document, was, and it was still in legible condition inside that box, Corville proposed to the general that Tarar could serve as a sort of military courier, carrying documents securely through enemy, enemy territory with no risk of messages being found if he was searched. The general called on Tarar to demonstrate his abilities in front of the commanders of the Army of the Rhine. He swallowed the box successfully, of course, so they rewarded him with a wheelbarrow filled with 30 pounds of raw bull's lungs and liver, which he immediately ate in front of the assembled generals. I mean, that's good eating. (laughs) That's farm-raised lung, Jamie. You can't just turn your nose up at that. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we had a really, I, I want him to have had a really, really cool nickname, like The Pit or, or right. Chompers or, or uh, like, or just, call, I just called him Lunchbox. Like right? in That's... my movie, he's called Lunchbox. Yeah, I still, to me, he's still the ghoul to me. He's the ghoul. Um, so oh, after that successful and rather oh. disgusting demonstration, <sighs> Tarar became employed officially as a spy of the Army of the Rhine. He was soon given his first mission. Disguised as a Prussian peasant, he was to sneak past enemy lines to deliver a top-secret message of great military significance to a captured French colonel. The message would be hidden inside of a box, safely enclosed inside of his stomach. <laughs> Gerard didn't get far, though. Hindsight 2020 and all. They maybe should have expected that the man with sagging skin and putrid stench that could be smelled from miles away would, you know, maybe attract Draw attention. attention. Of, yeah. yeah. And so the it did, and the locals and the town turned him in to the... <laughs> to the uh, uh, the the Prussian military. Um, also, on top of that, he didn't speak German. <laughs> so here's a, a Prussian a Prussian peasant that and he didn't keeps speak eating German. the livestock. Right, <laughs> red flags. There were just red flags everywhere. Um, it wasn't long before the Prussians figured it out. They came, they turned him in. Um, then the and the Prussians. Uh, military got him. A strip search found nothing s- suspicious on his person, and despite being whipped by the Prussian soldiers, he refused to betray his mission. He was then brought before the local Prussian commander, but again, he refused to talk, so he was imprisoned. That lasted for 24 hours. After that, he was like, fuck this, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> so uh, they, he explained the scheme to his captors, and then was chained to a latrine, and eventually... 30 hours 
After being swallowed, the wooden box holding the top secret message emerged. Again, (laughs) someone else's shit job. They had to get through that. (laughs) However, when the Prussians... Yeah. Yeah. And now it gets sad. When the Prussians read the note... Oh, now it gets sad. (laughs) Yeah. Not that sad, but still sad. Um... When the Prussians read the note inside of the box, it merely asked the captured colonel to confirm that the message had been received successfully, and if so, return a reply of any potential useful information um, about Prussian troop movements or whatever. But it was really just a test to see if it worked. The French general did not trust Terrar's mental state because he thought he would give him up, which he did. So the whole mission was just a test. Oh, my God. And he failed. And he failed. He yeah. failed. The Prussian general was so furious that he ordered Terrar to be hanged. Once he calmed down, though, he felt bad for this strange, flabby man openly sobbing on the gallows. He had a change of heart and let Terrar go back to the French lines, warning him with a last-minute beating to never try that shit again. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, it's my turn. Uh, it's my turn. Uh, it's pretty uh, good. It's pretty good. Thank pretty you. Good. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, following this incident, Terrar was desperate to, af- to avoid further military service, go figure. So he returned to the hospital telling Percy that he would attempt any possible cure for his appetite. Percy treated him with laudanum wi- without success, and further treatments with white vinegar and tobacco pills were also unsuccessful. Next, following he, tried, these- he tried boneless wings. That didn't work. That didn't work at all. He it's like, give me the bones. I don't care. I'll just eat them. Uh, <laughs> you're like, following... you're taking away the good part. <laughs> uh, following these failures, Percy fed Terrar large quantities of soft-boiled eggs to try oh. to fill him up. Ugh. And then Ugh. all I could think of, it, of course it failed to suppress his appetite, but then all I could think of is what that must have smelled like. Oh, God. Just sulfuric Jesus. on top of everything else. Jesus. Um, efforts uh, to keep him on any kind of controlled diet failed. He would sneak out of the hospital to scavenge for organ meat outside the butcher shops and yeah. to fight stray dogs for decaying meat in gutters, alleys, and trash heaps. God. Oh, He was what a also life. caught several times within the hospital no. drinking from patients undergoing bloodletting. Oh. Just like- so he would... Drink like their blood. A little, a little cocktail. He's like, ah, you know Just what? Little... This is a good organ yeah. meat followed with a little bloodlet chaser. But uh, mm. on top of that, he tried to eat the cadavers in the hospital mortuary. I mean, at this point, just let them in. I mean, you gotta think like they're just those cadavers are just taking up space. I know we want to. <laughs> I know we want to uh, bury them and everything. And just build it in one yeah. part of town, but we see that doesn't always work out in France. Um, That's true. But I mean, like, well, just, just give it. Let him be. Let him be like the trash man. It's like here, you just bring out your dead because Tahir's hungry. I, I'm sorry. I just, I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for the guy. He's but got also, a disorder. But it's like, what, what are those, what are those bodies doing? They're just laying there. Yeah, I can tell you without a doubt, I would never be that hungry. I would starve to oh, death I, before I, I think I, I wouldn't yeah. either. I wouldn't either. But I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, so there's like, something he else clearly there. Would, he would clearly go there. So I'm like, what well, yes, in the interest of and his which mental is why health, just... I think there was something else there. You know, you, oh, you think, clearly. yes, he was hungry, he was hungry. But there's, there's a line that I think we all have. Um, well, and, think, and at this hunger point, can too, drive the other you mad. doctors. And if it's your constant state, then, I mean, you're just going to be unhinged all the time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, just like his jaw, unhinged. 
Um, so the other doctors were like, Percy, dude, this guy is, he is mentally ill. It's not just about this physical thing. There is a mental illness going on there, too. Um, and it's like it's the first time other professionals would tell a Percy to sit down and let someone else take over. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> because Jesus, um, but no and Percy, idea what you're of course, about. no, uh-uh. Percy, of course, refused because that is history repeating itself. Um, but he That's wanted just... to continue his experiments. So Terrar remained in the pil- in the military hospital until a 14 month old child mysteriously disappeared from the hospital. No, no. He ate a baby? Tarar was immediately suspected. They don't know. They never saw the baby again, but they all pretty much agreed it was him. What a conversation. Who made that? Like, what a conversation. They're all just sitting there going, what could have possibly happened to this infant? And someone goes, God, I mean, like, sorry, but like, are we not going to talk about how it made it, like, maybe Tarar ate the fucking thing? Like, yeah. you know they couldn't just jump. Like, they're like, we don't want to. No, that's insane. He did. We, he ate the fucking baby. Like, I just yeah. would have he loved to have been a fly. He eats dead people, so he probably <laughs> is fine with a baby. I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Percy <laughs> couldn't defend him anymore. So the hospital staff chased Tarar away. And he was uh... gone. Four years later, in 1798, a M. Tessier, T-E-S-S-I-E-R, Tessier, Tessier. of Versailles. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Uh, a Versailles hospital contacted Percy to let him know that a patient of theirs wished to see him. It was Terrar, Terrare, whatever, now bedridden and weak. He told Percy that he had swallowed a golden fork two years earlier, which he believed was lodged inside him and causing his current weakness. Mm. He had hoped that Percy could find some way to remove it. However, Percy could tell that Terraria actually had advanced tuberculosis. Mm. There was nothing he could do to save him. A month later, Terraria died. And last but not least, in the most disgusting story we've ever done, we have to talk about the autopsy. Of course, yeah. His body <laughs> rotted rather quickly, so um, I mean, it just they had like it was to move putrid pretty anyway, quickly. So it's like, mm-hmm. for all the horrible smells that had drifted out of him while he was alive, nothing compared to the smell that poured out when he died. Oh. The doctors, Percy from the military hospital and Tessier from the Versailles hospital, struggled to breathe through the noxious odors that filled the room. But they wanted to find out what caused his strange affliction, and they wanted to see if he really did have a gold fork lodged in his intestines. (laughs) Might be worth something. (laughs) The description of the autopsy is, well, I would call it intense. (laughs) Here we go. Quote, The entrails were putrefied, confounded together, and immersed in pus. The liver was excessively large, void of consistence, and in a putrescent state. The gallbladder was of considerable magnitude. The stomach, in a lax state, and having ulcerated patches dispersed about it, covered almost the whole of the abdominal region. Wow. 
They found that his stomach was so massive that it very nearly filled his entire abdominal cavity. His esophagus, likewise, was unusually wide, and his jaw could stretch out so wide open that, as the reports report put it after he died, a cylinder of a foot in circumference could be introduced without touching his palate. So that's more of the four inch, more than four inches. It's way more than four inch. Yeah. They may have been able to learn more about Terrari's strange condition, but the stench became so overpowering that the doctors all gave up. They stopped the autopsy midway through. They'd learned one thing, though. Terrari's condition was not in his mind. Every strange thing that he'd done had started with a genuine, constant biological need to eat. The poor man's Ugh. every experience had been dictated by the strange body he'd been born with, one that cursed him to a life of internal hunger. Oh, man. And for the record, they never found that gold fork. Ugh. Oh, God. And that's... The idea that he just accidentally swallowed a gold fork. Right. Whoopsie, Jesus. gold fork. <laughs> oh, God. But on purpose swallowed a whole baby. Oh, and that God. is the thing. Like, it starts off as a genuine issue, right? But it turns into this ghoulish well, yeah. Thing. And is it like, when does that start? Does that, is that happen when he's in the show, like the, the sideshow thing? And, you know, challenge I imagine he was probably things? like, you know, back then, you just like, he had to catch as catch could. And so I imagine someone found him and was like, you'll eat a cat? I got work for you, bro. And so, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's in my, in my, in my movie, that's how that happens. But like, my God. Yeah. And it's just, it's sad, but like, yeah, if you are constantly hungry, like to the level of starving, yeah, you're you're not going to be picky about what you eat. You're going to well, eat whatever it, is in gonna, ready supply. It's going to weigh on your mind, we'll say, mm-hmm. and lead you down a dark path. Um, and of course, there was no treatment. So what was he going to do? You know, but now there's treatment for it and there's ways to deal with it. Um, but, oh. you know, and it's also that whole, the physicality that he ended up with in the autopsy. Did it start that way or did it become that, right? I'm just so surprised that he could eat all this stuff and not die. Like, that, yeah. I, and, I'm, and I'm talking about the amounts. I mean, his body could clearly handle the amounts. I mean, if handle is the right word, it could it clearly metabolize it. But how did he eat all this shit and not perish? Like, how did it? Not, how did he not poison himself is what I'm saying. Right. That's fucking well, crazy. Well, from what I've read, it went through him pretty quickly, most of the stuff. Yeah, the so box his body would take was just longer. really good at just expunging just, anything that was fatal. Yep. God, man. And maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe on some level he was trying to kill himself. So he would eat whatever just to see if it could fucking, he could just die. Maybe he wanted to die because he was in this constant state of torturous hunger. Jesus, what a, whoo, whoo, that's a Morbid. Morbid. disgusting. And and you're welcome. That was a great story. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. For me, Ooh, for me he will now be forever known as, uh, uh, what's the, what's the phrase? Uh, Le Parieux Repas, which is packed lunch. Ah. That's his nickname. Le Parieux Repas. Repas. Repast. It's like, that's where we get the word repast from. Repas. Yeah. I have to, oh. I have oh. to recover from this story. So <laughs> if you guys listening feel like you need a recovery as well, I understand. I'm, gonna, I'm right there with you. I'm going to go have a Jimmy Dean sausage <sighs> breakfast croissant sandwich. <laughs> Michael! Don't you look at me like I'm going to eat a baby. I'm not going to eat a baby. But why would... No, whatever comes to it, Gus is going to be the first to go. He's just... (laughs) He's so delicious looking. He just just looks like he tastes good. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like he's so yummy. He's spicy. He looks like he's made of... 
he just looks like he's a dessert, like a delicious dessert. All you have to add is a little garlic powder and you'll be fine. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that story. That was You're I feel like, welcome. I feel like and we're going to get we're going to get listener mail. Look. Over that, but that's that's oh, good. I warned. I warned. It was great. It was great. I love it. Oh my god. He was like an ogre. Yeah. He was like a real live ogre. Yeah. A oh. ghoul, a real live ghoul. It just all it made me think of. Ghoul. Very very ghoulish. Oh, 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 so, oh. yeah, true well, to the name. Also, I'm sorry. Mm, mm, mm. Well, yeah. I guess that's it for today's episode. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, bon sorry about that, everyone. Guys. Um, enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, let's see. So, um, this is our 99th episode. Holy shit! Really? Is it? So- oh God. I guess I do yeah. something. What? What, what the, the fuck? fuck? How the fuck do we we're get torn here? between doing something special and then and then just being like, "Yay, it's the hundredth episode." So we're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're very we're planning really well about things. We're, surely, we're we're great improvisers. <laughs> we are. We are. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, check out ghoulintentions.com. Um, send us your stories if. Play maybe nothing like this, but Ouija board stories. Send us your Ouija board stories for hey, sure. If you if you know someone that's eating a baby, send us that story too. I'm just morbidly curious. Yeah, okay, that's true. Okay, <laughs> eating baby stories and also your Ouija board stories. Um, ghoulintentions.com again. It's at the top of the menu. Send them in. We would yes, love to yes. hear about them and um, and then share them back with you uh, at a ghostical episode. Um, thank yeah. you again, Megan, yes. for reading our opening story. Um, and I think that's all we have. Yeah. I can't think of anything. You think of anything? I am full. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> I know. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, so stay safe. Stay sane. And remember. It's okay it's to okay sleep to with, sleep the, lights with on. the lights on. And maybe eat with the lights off. No, just... Uh-uh. <laughs>